Okay, welcome everyone for this part two. Um, this is an unbelievable topic that I think many of us have been wanting to know a lot about. Um, and we had last week's fantastic first class. Um, I managed to listen to it on the recording. I wasn't able to make it live. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful I'm, I'm here for the, for the second one. Um, and I think we don't really need introduction. We've, we've been talking a lot about your works at the Khabura for some time and, and your research and um, I think most of us here will, will watch the first part. Um, so I think we can skip the, the introduction. Um, and I think Ohad last week introduced it perfectly. So if anyone wants to hear more, you can look at that back at that one. Um, but yeah, I don't want to speak much. Um, there's not many announcements. I may mention a few things at the end. Um, but in terms of questions, Professor, you, you prefer that you, know, you, you do it and then questions at the end. Is that all right? Uh, unless it's something that that's really troubling and and someone wants some extra, you know, needs have something cleared up, or otherwise they can't follow what I'm saying, then they can just raise a hand and hopefully I'll see it. That little yellow hand and on the that Zoom. That sounds good. Okay, let's go for it. Mechavot, okay. all yours. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Good evening. Uh, last week I spoke about Chote uh, Ben Shlomo and uh, made a few, uh, look at a few passages from his work. And some of it was probably a bit uh, heavy, I guess, for uh, in terms of the, you know, the philosophy, the cosmology, the, the uh, conception of how the universe is structured and, and what this tells us about the place of you know, man within the universe and the ethical and spiritual implications for this. So, I'm going to be returning to that here with uh, some more illustrations and um, and I mean, so more examples and some actually some some illustrations that may help to understand it. But I'll be approaching it from a different angle. This this talk will be mostly about so-called foreign influences on Yemenite Jewish thought. Uh, it's a controversial issue in, in many Jewish uh, circles as to uh, whether whether we can or have or should or ought to uh, borrow philosophical notions and scientific concepts from non-Jewish sources because these and incorporate them into our own philosophies, our own outlooks, which are strictly you know religious and Jewish, uh, and we all know that there are those who view Hanukkah as not simply. Uh, the historical event in which the Jews defeated the, the Seleucids, but as a sort of uh, one chapter in an ongoing uh, struggle with Mityavnim, with Hellenizers. So what I want to say off the bat is that this was not an issue at all for Yemeni Jews. Uh, I don't recall coming across anyone having a particular problem with uh, citing as a, a non-Jewish source, uh, as an authority, or, or as a, or as a place from which one can learn uh, uh, facts about about the cosmos, which are which are important for religious perspective. So, what I I would talk to I would divide my talk into two parts today. The first is what I what I call you see here on the screen. Islamic Neoplatonism, uh, it's basically uh, some 
conceptions as to how the, the, the universe is structured and how it may have evolved or been created or maintained itself forever uh, that, that, are, that really trace back to uh, late antique Greek thought, but which the Jews of Yemen learned by way of a, uh, 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 writings of a, of a Shia sect known as the Ismailis, who were very, had a strong presence in the Yemen. Uh, uh, now, <clears throat> as a, the, 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 the Jews do sometimes cite some of these Ismaili uh, uh, sources by name, uh, they weren't always aware of the, of the place where, of the, of, the, of the source of the doctrine that they're adopting, and they didn't really uh, care all that much and there was a, it's an attitude which I heard from, you know, often from my uh, late uh, mentor, uh, Professor Rav Yosef Kapov Zatzal, who would always say, you know, in Hebrew, it's not so much who said it, but, you know, what, what they said, that's, that's what, we, what we should look at. And, and, uh, you know, on, on that basis, decide whether we want to uh, incorporate it into our uh, into our, uh, our our personal you know views or not. Uh, now, the thing about about the Ismailis is uh, is not just that they 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 gave a, a this Hellenistic uh, philosophy and cosmology an important place in their in their uh, system, but that the uh, this background this this uh, uh, this background of, of of this particular strain really a small minority uh, overall in, 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 in Islam uh, it was shared by Egypt and the Yemen the Egypt was until at the time that that, that the Rambam Moses Maimonides came to Egypt was ruled by uh, the Fatimids, who were a Shia dynasty, uh, and their power extended to Yemen. And so Yemen and Egypt were uh, very, at very similar cultural settings, very similar intellectual currents running in them. And this was one of the, the reasons, one of the things that contributed to the strong uh, hold that Maimonides thought had on the Jews of Yemen because the two countries were were much more uh, closely re related than one might think today. Uh, now, Maimonides himself uh, developed a, a philosophy which was, you know, in the end, quite different from the particular strain of thought that these these uh, uh, Ismailis had developed. But but nonetheless, it, 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 he also was not free of of, of any influence on them, and so this this gives a a a, 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 a strong connection between the the way the, the, these Yemeni Jews not just uh, accept the Maimonides as an authority, but the particular way they interpreted his his teachings, which which uh, which uh, should be taken seriously today. Uh, the academic research on Maimonides and the rabbinic uh, research. Is, is you know each person studies and monies against the background of their their traditions and trying to make him fit into 
you know how, how we look at things uh, and, and and from 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 our perspective uh, a lot of the things that the Ismaili that the Yemenite philosophers uh, saw in Maimonides it doesn't seem correct doesn't ring true but we should remember that they had you know they they were really coming out of the same background that he had that he shared in and this is a point to ponder. The, 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 the cultures were so close that uh, with regard to Bustana Lakul, the, uh, one of the earliest, maybe the earliest work of Jewish philosophy to come out of Yemen, uh, the first scholar who studied it, uh, the, the late Shlomo Pines, uh, who was a very careful scholar and, and, and didn't want to jump to any conclusions, uh, said he that he couldn't decide whether the work was written in Yemen or Egypt because the 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 the, 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 the either country would have would have would have provided the type of setting that one could see for a book like that. Now, <clears throat> I would like to begin with a uh, going back to the. Uh, as I said, the cosmology. I spoke last week about this conception that 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 people had of that uh, was shared by by thinkers throughout the from Spain to Egypt and from Italy to North Africa of a uh, a, a, a closed uh, the whole the whole cosmos the whole universe was one small sphere at the center of which was the Earth, but as we move. Uh, down from the heavens to earth, we we also are moving. It's it's, it's it, we're descending, uh, not just in in different uh, realms in terms of the physics, in terms of the composition of matter, but but spiritual spiritually, the the uh, the higher the, the 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 deity is beyond God is beyond everything, and and then as as we move on down, uh, things become less limpid, less uh, subtle, uh, and more thick until we get to our own earth, which is, uh, you know, where the, the real material universe. And, the, and in the, in Kota's uh, philosophical midrash, he, you, he applies that particular conception to uh, the, the, uh, the paragraph, to the, the section from, from, from Devray Yamim, from Chronicles, that that that's in the daily prayer every single day by Avarich David at the Am, and then it says Lecha Hashem Hagedulah Vagvura Vatiferet Vahod Vanetzach Vahod, and we all you know, most of us know that or know that this this succession Hagedulah Vagvura it's a it's a succession which in the Kabbalah is taken as a, as a successive emanations of Sfirot, and but in the philosophical scheme they are it fits the successive emanation from the deity on downwards, each, each level being less limpid, less, uh, less uh, transparent, and more coarse and material. And then at the very end, as if the conclusion of this, of this, uh, of this scheme we thank God for, for, for the scheme now. Why are we thanking God for being in the scheme if, if, uh, if we're in the last uh, element in it? Well, he says in his, in his, in his, in his, in his commentary, I read the, 
just the English. And now, our God, we thank you. We know that the last, which is a human being, is the cream of the lower world because it is the closest of all existing things to God. So is it clear in this figure. And he refers to this circular diagram here, which is, appears in, in many Yemeni texts. It's from one of the manuscripts uh, of the Yemeni Midrash. Uh, and you see here what I'm circling here, it says in Judeo-Arabic, al-Wahta, the one, and then the emanation of the descent, uh, the progressively coarser, thicker, more material, less translucent uh, elements or beings, it goes around like this, but the circle circles back on itself. When it hits rock bottom, which is the material world, then things start to rise again because uh, the, the elements coalesce and form, and form beings that are more refined, more complex, the plants which can move, the animals which can, the plants which can grow, sorry, the animals which can move, and then the human who can think. Uh, Homo sapiens is, is basically comes from that, that conception. The, 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 what makes us different, different from the animals is sapiens. We have the, the ability to think, to cognize, and that brings us right back up to the thought. So we, so, so, this, so, this, so this, uh, this line of emanation are unfolding is not a straight line, which, you know, which would put us at the, at the very bottom, but it's a line which curves back on itself and brings humans to basically the, the, the pinnacle in the sense that we, we are just one step removed. Uh, now, now this now getting back to the to the notion of of uh, you know have, having a source or at least a parallel a similar exposition in 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 the uh, Ismaili texts which which as I said are, are, are developing us on the basis of Greek texts we have it is from from Hamidadil Kermani one of the most important uh, Ismaili thinkers and someone who cited by name. In, in, in books by, Jew, by Yemeni Jews. And you see here uh, a circle, which basically, I mean, it has much more division, many more divisions, but it's basically the same idea of, of this uh, 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 successive emanations or, or whatever, a fusion from the, from, from the divinity. And in the final lines of the text, I don't know if, if, if you read Arabic that you can, if you do, it's here, with, I'm getting here where I'm circling this, Wahadihi Surat Aksam al-Majudad, Wiyakul Daira, Tassala, Awaluha, Ba'akhiriha. So he's saying, this is a circle, the figure of the divisions of those, of those things which exist. It is like a circle. It's a beginning joining to its end. Hence, that which is found at its beginning is at its end. And then he quotes a saying. This is not a saying from the, from the Hadith or from some Islamic tradition. This is some, uh, I don't know, some, some just uh, 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 saying that, 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 that was popular among the scholars at the time, the beginning 
flows into the end. We'll soon see that this is something which was a well known, a, a very widespread notion that, that appears elsewhere uh, in, in Jewish texts as well. Now, what, what I want to emphasize here is that this particular conception is not just the scientific theory or philosophical you know, pipe dream. It's something that carries with it ethical obligations, religious obligations, because one of the you know, uh, foundational beliefs, one of the main, main, mainstays of our tradition is that the freedom of choice that we've been given as humans and the cognitive powers that we've been given as a human place upon us the burden to develop these, these the, 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 the cognitive powers to the maximum. We, if, if we are gifted by God with something that, 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 he, that he didn't give to the elephant or to the mouse, they have, they have no, they're not called to account for not developing their minds because they have nothing, they, they can't do it, but we can. And that means that we have an obligation to do so. So he says here, hold there, picture to yourself, you who contemplates this diagram that when a person turns around to face backwards, how many stages impede before the first cause? It is the path of the wicked. But if the person turns towards that which is nearby to him in this diagram, that's the stage immediately adjacent to the first cause or the one, why then the truth is the closest thing to him? And then he, he has a, a verse which he cites from the Varim, the matter is very close to you. You perform it with your mouth and your heart. And when he says very close, he means that quite literally. Here I've simply sort of sketched out this circle, uh, giving it the names. And you see here, again, that it goes from uh, the one down to uh, these uh, lower instantiations or whatever you want to call them, then back up humanity, which is one step removed from the one. But it all depends on how we face. If we face towards the one, then it's the closest thing to us. If we face the wrong way, the path of the wicked, then we're going away from God, which is basically a very fundamental you know, notion that, that, that appears over and over again. We have these two sides to us, the sort of uh, spiritual, intellectual, divine level, and then we have the uh, which is housed in the animal body. And it's up to us to decide which one to give the precedence to, which one to favor. Are we going to you know, uh, develop, uh, give our full attention to the intellectual, spiritual side and develop it and thereby become closer to God? Or are we going to neglect that and just you know, turn to our animal nature? But here we hear this, this notion here, you see, is, is illustrated graphically, and the idea of facing in the right direction is a basic concept in, in Maimonides' philosophy as well. If you look, read the second chapter of his God the Perplexed, which is <clears throat> not at all easy, but it's very programmatic, you see that this, uh, this idea of facing in the right direction is, is, is foundational. He quotes the, 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 the verse from Tehillim, Achor Bekedim Sartani, 
which you know as we, we you made me with a with these the two directions forward and backward it's up to me to choose to face forward and he, and then towards the end of the guide with his with his uh, parable of the sultan's palace and he talks about people who are trying you know everyone's trying to get into the throne room to get as close as god as possible but some people Aren't even aren't even facing the right direction. They're standing with their backs towards with the, 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 the palace. So this is this is a very foundational idea. This 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 uh, philosophy may may seem you know totally irrelevant to our science and our anthropology, but the basic idea is I think very very relevant and very very telling. Now, as I've said. The idea of the circle closing in on itself is is a very widespread notion found in in a host of texts. It found, for example, in Sefer Yitzirah, which which in you know the book one chapter seven says, "Esesfirot bulima naut sofan betchilatan utchilatan besofan." That it's the end is you know stuck into the beginning, and the beginning goes into the end, and then we have this. Well, well-known diagram from alchemy is just this, you know the dragon swallowing its own tail. So this notion is a very widespread, you know, human theme, uh, and it was uh, developed uh, by the Yemeni thinkers and given these uh, <clears throat> important ethical and religious lessons. Now. I, uh, coming back to what I said earlier, I found some very, I think, uh, you know, elegantly expressed and, and, and correctly expressed uh, ideas as to why uh, why uh, Maimonides and the Ismaili theologians uh, seem to work together, despite the fact that Maimonides ultimately chooses uh, a very different type of theology. This one from a scholar by the name of Alfred Ivry. So he writes, for it appears that with all their differences, Maimonides and the Ismaili theologians had much in common. They and he were appealing to the same type of intellectual, a person steeped in the traditions and lore of his faith and searching for religious philosophy with which it would be compatible, which would ultimately rationalize religious observance. The Ismailis had created a synthesis of the sort that Maimonides was seeking, a philosophical midrash that respected the original formulations of the faith while essentially transforming them. And this is the basic idea of Maimonidean philosophy. And so you can see why it can fit any, any, uh, any number of different, you know, philosophical, specific philosophical themes, whether it's the Ismaili and their so-called Neoplatonic scheme, or some of the later schemes that were developed by, by Maimonideans into the 20th century with Kant and other uh, philosophers. I, I add here, I may interject here that the Jewish Yemeni philosophers were indeed the same type of intellectual. And so it's not surprising that they would see Maimonides as their master, but they would also regard as many theologians such as Karmani as an acceptable source of the basic philosophy, which Maimonides assumed to be already part of the education of the reader of his guide. There's another point you take into question, into account 
and trying to understand how, how come there are so many different interpretations of Maimonides and they all seem to be able to justify themselves uh, on the uh, you know, from things that Maimonides would hear, in, hear and there, but especially in his guide of the perplexed. Because Maimonides tells us over and over again in the guide that the guide is not a textbook in philosophy. It's not philosophy 101. It's an advanced course in religious, in religious philosophy. He's writing, for the, he's writing the book for someone who's perplexed, whose perplexity arises out of his study of philosophy. So he doesn't have to go through the basics. The person has already studied the basics and that's what led him to, 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 to wonder how all this can be harmonized with the Jewish tradition. And so it really doesn't matter what philosophical tradition you're coming out of. Okay, now going back to, to Ivry, he writes, it, it is El Kramani who is closest to Lamani's own thought. And uh, by the way, Ivry not, did not know all that much about the Yemeni uh, 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 scholars who really you know, uh, uh, made much of, of the, 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 the interface of the commonality between Maimonides and Kermani and the other Smeilis. Every writes, they are both <clears throat> deeply concerned with the themes of creation and revelation and advocate, at least exoterically for Maimonides, belief in creation from nothing. <clears throat> they both subscribe to emanationist ideas and view the ultimate goal of life in terms of an ascent to a joining with the world of intelligible and internal being. So, as I said, they, they, for this reason, the Yemeni Jewish philosophers were not at all troubled reading Maimonides in the background of, of, these, of these Ismaili philosophers, even if the terminology he uses and the structures he uses are different. Maimonides never attacks this type of philosophy the way he does attack certain non-philosophical streams of Islam, such as what, what's called the Kalam. Now, as for the question of creation, and it mentions here, Ivory uh, uh, says Maimonides at least exoterically advocates belief in creation because uh, <clears throat> creation from nothing was a, a, the touchiest, the most controversial idea in Maimonides' time. And Maimonides treated the subject so gingerly and so delicately that, that uh, many people wonder what he really felt. And I think in academia, uh, most people think that he really did not accept the creation from nothing. I, I disagree. I take him at his word, but I don't want to talk about that now. What I want to talk about is what I mentioned earlier, that this scheme can be applied to creationism or eternalism, this circular scheme that, 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 that we illustrated before. If it's a creationist scheme, it presents creation as a process of our unfolding, our development, much as the Torah does in Genesis. And if you read Bereshit, it doesn't say that God, you know, said in one, one you know, breath, brought the whole world into being as it is now, which, by the way, is a, is a belief that uh, I think is in the Quran, and I think someone like Yudha Levi would be open to it, where, where, where God gives just the command in Arabic, kun, kun meaning be. And God said kun, and the world was. But the Torah, the Torah also speaks of day one of creation, just light, day two, 
day three, whole day, day two, and nothing is created. It's just the reorganization. So there's no reason why, even if you believe creation out of nothing, that creation could not be a process which took a long time and which went through different stages until it ended in, in the humanity. But in the eternalist scheme, something akin to Aristotle's conviction that the cosmos has always been and always be just as we observe to be now, the scheme outlines the ongoing, ever-present ontological dependence of everything on its ultimate source. Let us say this layer or grade, this layered graded structure uh, has always been and will always be, but the every element in it will always ultimately trace its existence or depend for its existence on, on, on God. So it, it's just a question of you take this, this uh, circle and this li line and bend it into a circle which throws us in on the, on the source or whether you have it as, as, as a straight line, but it, the, the system works for both. So it, it, so that's that. So much now for that for for that particular uh, cosmic scheme and how it was, you know, adapted and and the ethical implications. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so no questions. I would like to move on to the to the second part of my talk, which I call here India and more, because it 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 concerns. Citations of or references in Yemeni works to a a book called in Arabic Kitab Mirat al Maani, the Mirror of Ideas, the Mirror of Meanings. Now, to understand how this book came to be, we have to put ourselves back 800, 900 years or so, where everything was different with regard to books. Not just that they were not printed, but they were copied by hand. But notions of authorship, of copyright, of uh, literary theft and literary borrowing were very different. Yes, there were uh, accusations of, of theft of, that if someone took my book and copied from it. But as a rule, when someone would say, take a, 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 a text from Greece or even from India, um, presumably a Muslim who's tra translating it into Arabic and wanted to make it more uh, congenial, more less offensive, more easily acceptable to a Muslim audience, they could change the religious language and put in uh, not just substitute Allah for fails, but put in all sorts of pietistic thoughts and whatnot and, and, and phrases and not really feel that they're that they're doing damage to the text or are interfering with, with other person's uh, work. This particular book is much more complex. Whoever put this book together took a Sanskrit text on yoga, took a Gnostic text, an early, uh, something that traces back to the early sense of Christianity, and a 12th century text by a Shia Muslim from from Persia who ended up in Halab and put them all together because he felt not totally incorrectly that they're all arguing for the same point, though 
in different ways. Uh, and this is Kitab Mirat al Now, I should also point out because this is a very important point for Yemen. The Yemen at that time was a very, one of the most important commercial hubs in the world because one of the most important trade routes was a route that went from Egypt to India. People were, were, were important, importing mostly luxury goods from India, spices and silks and, and, and medicinal uh, uh, materials. And it was, they were going by sea. And for that reason, you know, the, the, the sea voyage of India, from, from India to, to Egypt, you would make a stop at the Yemen uh, to refuel, to offload merchandise, take on merchandise. So Yemen was actually very well connected and, and, and was being brought up to date uh, in all sorts of fields because a Jewish uh, merchant from Spain who would be going on a business trip to India would almost certainly make a stop in the Yemen and they would often bring with them the latest PU team, let us say, the latest in, in the production of the uh, great, you know, liturgical poets of, 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 of Spain. Uh, so the Yemen was in touch and, 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 and there, were, there were importations of India as well. Now this text has a very complex history, which is uh, a scholar in the US has been working for a long time. It exists in Turkish and in, in Arabic and Persian, but, and I got in touch with him with these particular uh, fragments, and it turns out that the Arabic fragments from the Yemen are possibly our earliest, uh, you know, uh, uh, testimony to the existence of this text. So let me just uh, go through a few examples. Now, the first is actually uh, something that that found its place in, the, in this text, and we don't really know where it came from, but it's an interesting idea and an, an interesting example of how Yemenite philosophical midrash work. It's the heart with 12 chambers cited in the philosophical midrash of Odisha morning in connection with, with the story of Avraham and Lot. You all know the story, I'm sure, that Avraham and his cousin Lot both come into Eretz Israel uh, with huge households and large flocks of sheep. And when they first come in, they're the shepherds of Abraham and Lot are always quarreling. Uh, There's a well, they, one the shepherds of Abraham say, we dug the well, it's for our sheep. And the shepherds of Lot say, no, it's our well. And so they would move on to a different place and, and they, they wouldn't stop fighting. And so finally Abraham told to Lot, you know, we've got to split up. We can't, this constant, you know, quarreling is not good for either of us. So Abraham says, you choose. If you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. Now, the philosophical midrash takes that totally out of context. Uh, and the only thing that, 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 that the midrash is interested in is this choice between going right or left. Because Abraham, you know, said, I'll go, I'll go, if you go right, I'll go left. But no, he's, he, that's, he ignores that, and he makes this into a choice between right or left, right being virtues and left being vice. 
and everything being described figuratively, maybe even literally, in a, in, in a heart with 12 chambers, six on the right with the virtues, and six on the left with the vices. And you see here, the, the, they come in, in pairs. It's interesting that the, uh, the vices, uh, uh, this is all mixed up. The, this should be right and this should be left. I, so the, the virtue is wakefulness and the vice is sleep. The virtue is knowledge. The, uh, the vice is ignorance. The virtue is alertness and the vice is inattentiveness. Notice that there are two of the six pairs have to do with being alert, being awake. This is interesting because this is a very important, this is one of the fundamental uh, uh, things of, uh, in, in Sufism where, where, where you're, you're constantly battling this rafla, this, this uh, inattentiveness. Because we constantly, we're always forgetting, we get involved in our daily routine and our worries about, you know, uh, inflation and, and, and who knows what. And, and we forget that we should, you know, those are real things, but we should be focused, we should be attentive to our, our God and our obligations to him. And, and Maimonides also, you know, in, 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 has his, his Midrash on the, on the verse of Shira Shirim, Aniyah Shainav Libi Air, where he says it, uh, the, the ideal is for the human to be Aniyah I am asleep to this world. When I air, I am alert to, to God. Then grandeur arising above as opposed to lust, friendly admonition as opposed to anger, and bravery as opposed to the cowardice. So I don't know if they actually felt, you know, literally that the heart had these chambers or this is just a figurative scheme, but this is an interesting uh, 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 incorporation of something. And he quotes the verse, uh, the, the Midrash, by the way, said that he's not averse to quoting, quoting uh, directly from 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 this book and mentioning it by name, even though the reader would obviously know that it's not something that that uh, it's not a Jewish book. Now we we'll come to the real Indian stuff: yoga. The text contains. Descriptions of several yoga postures. Uh, it's called an Arabic jilsa or jilsa. I'm never quite sure how to vocalize it, which is a literal rendering, a rendering of the Sanskrit asana or the seated posture. One of these is a posture that's a very famous one that is said to result in levitation or flight. People talk about yogis flying through the air. It's basically maintaining this posture. Uh, which is said to give a sense of levitation. And it's copied out in, in, uh, in Hebrew characters, in Arabic and Hebrew characters, in a few fragments of the Smirtamani, which I have found in, in, in two places. So here you see the complex instructions, put one's hands on the ground straight up, the joint between the big toe and the right leg and the other toes on his right leg, 
likewise his left leg on his left elbow, suspended on the force of one's hands. This is sort of uh, what it looks like in some things I found online. And then while he's, while it takes his fan, one has a vicar. Vicar is a man, is the, uh, the Sufi equivalent of mantra. It's a, it's, a, it's a phrase that one says over and over and over again. Uh, and, and the text is going to say that if one is able to maintain this position and is steady and steadfast in it for the whole night, one attains flight and becomes one of the spirits. This looks like the, the phrase, the, 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 the pose that's called in yoga, the crane pose. In other words, it belongs to the birds. So now, now this... I found the actual uh, fragment, but I found it also cited indirectly in, in one of the texts of Khotar, who says it's, he came across someone, I don't know who, who thought that this pose, the one which induces levitation, uh, it can explain the phrase that the Talmud uses, or the, the Chazal use, called Kapitzata Derech, uh, with regard to Yaakov, Jacob, you know, in the in, in the story when uh, Yaakov is, is fleeing from Esav, running for his life, and he sleeps and has this wonderful, incredible dream of the sulam of the of the ladder, and when he wakes up in the morning, he's totally energized and says, "By Yaakov at Raglav," and and he he is, he just picked up his legs and boom, he was already in Haran. With his cousins, now, this, you know, but you saw this is so. This, so the stage is called this Kvitzata Derek. Rashi, by the way, has a, I think, a very sensible understanding. He says that you know sometimes when you're, when you're, when you've been relieved of some of your greatest worries and greatest fears, so everything seems to go you know much more smoothly and easily for you. So after this you know wonderful dream, Yaakov was much more confident, much happier. And that, so we made the, you know, the, the, the visit was like in a hop, skip and a jump. But, uh, but uh, this Yemeni scholar said that, no, what Yaakov did was that he took, he, he took this uh, yoga stance, this asana, uh, asana, and maintaining it all night, he flew to Haran. And Chota says this is, you know, totally unacceptable, preposterous. First of all, uh, you're trying to rationalize the miracle, trying to, you know, instead of saying it was a miracle that Yaakov made the journey so quickly, you're trying to give me a so-called uh, scientific explanation. But also, this is no, no science at all. It's ridiculous to think that someone can fly with this. But we see here how this, the, this, these things work their way into uh, the Yemeni interpretation of the Torah. And then finally, I have, there was one of them that has an illustration. Actually, there's two illustrations. It was interesting to see how you interpret these two figures. This is interpretation. This is the uh, famous, well-known yoga exercise where one focuses both eyeballs on the tip of one's nose. You, you just focus your eyeballs on the tip of your nose and keep doing that. Now, uh, the reason for doing this, you know, yoga, one of the things you're doing is 
that or the basic idea of yoga is that there, you you have a something divine within you, but you can't hear it because of all the noise from from outside. The, the noise, not just from like the street, the busy street, but the noise of your own thinking and your own worrying and your own, you know, trying to figure out how what I have to do tomorrow, how am I going to pay this month's bills and all this. So what you have to do is do exercises that will simply block out all this noise, take all your senses and focus them on something that's totally nothing. And that thereby you'll block out this noise and you'll be in touch with your inner divine self. And that's what this pose is supposed to do. And you see here, now I'm not sure uh, here in this middle one in the middle, it, it seems clear here are the eyes. And I guess this is the tip of the one's nose, but here, I, I don't know. It's at the top and at the, I don't know how to read it, but, but anyway, the reader is instructed to maintain this posture reciting in the heart rather than the tongue. Again, a dhikr, a mantra, alif, lam, pei. If you want to read, see how it, how it, uh, 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 <coughs> how, how this thing looks in, in Judeo-Arabic, here, where Stamil had the da'iman, Back here, have your love, and here you see marked out Alif Alif Lamid Bay. Well, my now Allahu Azza wa Jalla will call La La Bilsan. Well, you see, Arabic Hualika Adil Hala. So, so uh, read this and keep saying this mantra Alif Lam Bay or Alif Alif Lamid Bay, which is supposed to, uh, uh, <clears throat> which stands for the first letter of the alphabet, the numerical value of one. So obviously can stand for, for God. You know that we have in the Torah begins with Beit of Breshit because before it, we have the Aleph, the Ansel for the God. And, and the mantra is said to mean Allah Azza wa Jalla, the Jews, had no problems with these phrases, which are uh, obviously you know uh, popular uh, among Muslims, but there's nothing uh, wrong with it from a Jewish standpoint. Then say uh, to to, uh, to you know to, to to say this, and he says here at the beginning that this grants knowledge of hidden things. At the beginning for the eradita. You want uh, you want to gain entrance to the world of hidden things or the knowledge of hidden things and to actually see them, then take this yoga position, recite this mantra, and you'll be rewarded. So these are uh, a couple of examples of, of, of things that were taken from India and uh, incorporated in, 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 in Yemeni thought. Uh, there are, I could multiply many of the examples, I think I'm, I'm pretty much out of time now, but I hope this gives you at least some taste as to uh, 
how open these Yemeni thinkers were to sources outside of the Jewish tradition and the type of creative ways they could use them both in interpreting the Torah and finding ways to uh, spur ourselves on towards uh, attaining a greater, you know, uh, spiritual stature. That's Wow. <laughs> Absolutely fascinating. Um, I think one of the most interesting topics I think we've ever had. Um, and it really just shows how they did integrate sort of the wisdom around them and, and the culture that was that was uh, surrounding them. I think there's a there's a question in in the in the chat. Um, so how widespread among Jews living in the Arabic world? Uh, how how widespread was what? I think it's referring to in general the the, the sort of Yemenite uh, thinking, maybe in philosophy. Uh, maybe can finish can finish writing the question. You can turn on your microphone, uh, man who asked that I see you. you can can you turn on his microphone? Yeah. Can you? Hello. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, I meant, uh, of course, I meant how, how widespread was this Yemenite thinking, the philosophy amongst Jews living in, 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 in the Arab world? Is it, was it purely something that uh, remained within, within the Yemenite world? And, and, and now it's, it's with everybody with us, with our rabbis and, our, and academics, or is it something that was shared? Well, if you mean, were there books, did their books circulate in communities outside of the Yemen, then, then the answer is, is no. As far as I know, I don't think that, that, that any, any of their books were, were read by Jews, even in places like, like Egypt or, or uh, uh, or Iraq. Well, Maimonides claims says that he has seen some of the things written by, by Yemeni Jews, but but the, that's an interesting question. They 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 their 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 audience was pretty much limited to their to their own community. Though there's no reason why you know Jews elsewhere reading Arabic could not have you know enjoyed it, but. Either they made no effort to to to, do, to spread it to, to spread these things around. Uh, no, no, not, not even even later, when uh, in in the 16th century, when 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 some of the Jews of Yemen actually came to Tzfat to to study with the great uh, halachic and and kabbalistic uh, authorities there. I don't think that they they brought with them any of their of their literary production. That's uh, no. Uh, as far as I know, their audience was was strictly local. Thank you. Welcome. I I wanted to ask for for someone interested in uh, familiarizing themselves more with 
with the Yemenite philosophy or in general this this approach um, where would be a good what would be the book that you would recommend um, where would be a good starting point well there I mean there there are I don't know that there are uh, any any sort of textbooks there there are some of the I I, 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 I circulated in the first uh, lecture uh, some some things by David Blumenthal, who published uh, editions, translations, and notes uh, to things by by Holter. They're they're fairly heavy going, but not something that you should be you know, afraid to read. He's, he has two 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 book length studies of of things by Holter. One by one on his philosophical questions and answers, which are uh, which was my topic uh, 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 last week, and then one on the Maimonides' 13 Principles of Belief. My book, Yemenite Midrash, uh, is, uh, I guess, a decent uh, introduction. Uh, and I don't know if, uh, just one second, let me see here. Uh, in the uh, 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 yeah, well, I see that in the the, the the latest sort of attempt to write a, a history of Jewish philosophy, uh, it's, it's uh, by Colette Sirat. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, still, it's not. I mean, it's, just, it's several decades old, but it's the latest attempt. She actually has a, uh, a section uh, on, on, on the Jews of Yemen. Uh, she gives it a, a few pages that was in the book. So, so it's, it, it's slowly, slowly working its way in. I mean, I, 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 I think, that, uh, but there, there is no, I mean, there, if you want to you know, look for Studies on on, on Ismaili thought there 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 you can I can there's, there's quite a bit but specifically on, on, on the Yemeni philosophy you have to listen and then there are articles or there are, you know journal articles. Okay, we we'll post the links for for the others um, on on the groups of of those ones you've mentioned, um, and of course your book on the Yemenite midrashim. Um, but yeah, I don't know if there's anyone else who has a question. Um, but I think it's so thorough, <laughs> um, it's difficult not to have to have questions. Um, so I mean, it was absolutely fascinating and not only informative and, and intellectually stimulating, but also there's, there was actually quite practical, like you can take, you know, the, 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 what we studied about facing the right direction, realizing where we are in the world and how yeah. close we are to God and, um, and also the, the vices and the virtues. Um, it's all quite instructive as well. Um, so thank you for, for sharing that. And, and uh, yeah. we hope to have you again and, and also have your, your writings. Um, I think we had you in, in, in the, the Pesach guide and it was, it was absolutely fascinating uh, contribution. Yeah. And I think everybody was like amazed by that. Um, so thank you uh, for everything you do. And, and yeah, we'll, we'll keep following your, your research. And uh, okay. well, maybe I'll see some of you in the, uh, I'm, I'm actually coming to England uh, because of, there'll be a, 
a conference at Oxford in about a month, and I'll be talking there on on uh, interpretation of scripture from the um, philosophical interpretation. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll we'll be in touch about that, and then we can we can spread the word among our uh, the network of those of us in England. Um, and that, that would definitely be a, a lot of interest and it would be great to, to maybe meet you in person. Um, wonderful. Thank you so much. I know it's late already for you. Uh, thank thank you, you everyone for joining. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you. Thank you.